Hey, this is Pastor Brian Bauer, and you are listening to Pastor Stand Firm Podcast. I am so excited about our guest today. Joshua Cagle is director of Christ for the Nations Bible College in Poland, the Poland campus. And he's been there for quite a few years. He also grew up a missionary's kid in Mexico, and his parents were missionaries out of Texas. So stay tuned for a very interesting episode from a unique perspective, a global perspective on how to take a stand biblically and for the Lord in these days and times with missionary Joshua Cagle. All right, we are here with Josh Cagle, uh, director of Christ for the Nations Poland, and a very good old friend of mine. Uh, we go way back to uh, days at Bible College together, Christ for the Nations at Dallas, and then uh, we pursued our degrees in different places. But Josh, why don't you, before we get into the topics of the day and and uh, all that, and we're going to talk about all that, tell us about yourself, where'd you come from, where'd you grow up, um, and then how'd you get to where you are now? Well, my whole family's from Texas, uh, but I was born as a missionary's kid and raised uh, mostly in Latin America. I was, I turned five in the first year we were in Morelia in Mexico. And so I grew up speaking Spanish and English uh, as this little missionary's kid. And um, I think I was about six or seven the first time I decided that uh, I think the Lord's calling me to be a missionary. And uh, ever since then, I'd have different dreams along the way and, and think, hmm, be interesting to do that as, as children often do. But I'd always finish the sentence off by saying, no, but I'm going to be a missionary. <laughs> and uh, I knew I was going to serve God. I, I just, um, it was something that I carried in my heart for many, many years. And uh, once I went to Bible college, that was, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to serve the Lord. And of course, by then I had discovered that you don't have to go abroad uh, to be a missionary. You can be a missionary in the United States as well, in your own home country. So I was open to that. Uh, but I think I was about uh, 18, uh, again, in Mexico uh, at a, a missions event, and, and the Lord just really clearly laid Europe on my heart. And to be honest with you, I have to say I was, I was a little bit surprised by that. I love Europe. I, there were many things that I look back on now, and I see how much the Lord was preparing my heart. And, uh, and there was this kind of, um, I call it this kind of missing, you're missing something, you, this longing for something. And um, I would, uh, it's kind of like an internal sigh when you see certain images or pictures. And I had that since I was a kid, whenever I'd see something from specific places in Europe. And uh, I still didn't quite understand it once I was, you know, 19, but I, I felt like the Lord knows better than I do and um, part of it was because part of my problem was because of the fact that um, missions traditionally for me was uh, somewhere in um, you know Asia or or Latin America or, or Africa and the reality is by the time I went into missions um, the situation in those countries as far as the church was going was was far more advanced than some of the things that were going on here in Europe not to say that there weren't a lot of amazing churches and pastors here, but just there was a, a much bigger need in Europe. And I felt, I feel now that the Lord obviously knew that. And, and uh, so I came as a, as an intern. Uh, and uh, within a year, I, um, I knew that it wasn't going to be just a year. Wow. And so I ended up. 
and fell in love. Um, my wife is Polish. And so in, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, I'm a missionary here, but I've spent most of my adult life here now. And uh, this is a huge part of home. And, and, and even though we're missionaries here, we are um, totally connected to the church here and feel like wherever we go, if we ever went back to the U.S. or some other place, wherever we go, we'll always be missionaries. And so home is in the Lord's will. Yeah. Um, all right. That is. So you, are you trilingual at this point? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Fully. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell us, so this podcast is dedicated to pastors and leaders and just the mm-hmm. people of God standing firm against basically what we would argue is the cultural tide against biblical Christianity. So what is it like? From when you got to up to now, especially obviously post-COVID, what is it like in Poland and Eastern Europe to stand for Christ, and what are the oppositions you face? So, I, I'm just going to jump into this. Okay, I, I think that culture and Christianity are a battle that have taken place since the very beginnings of the church. Um. And maybe battle is not the right word. Uh, it's it's a challenge that we've had uh, because ever since the first uh, church, there's been this uh, challenge. If you look at Acts to, to see the apostles dealing with the Hellenist Jews and the non-Hellenist Jews and how to work out our salvation and how to work out our Christian doctrines uh, into, uh, into the language of the culture today and meet the challenges of the day. And so obviously here we have our own set of challenges. I, I think that if you're asking about Poland, and I think you do have to ask particularly about Poland uh, as opposed to asking about Europe in general, because Poland's situation is, is, a, uh, is a different one from say the rest of, of Europe, particularly if you're talking about uh, the church and it's, um, and I, by church, I mean on a big scale, not just our individual church. Um, the church and society and the church and the law, the church and, um, uh, and, and you know, restrictions or whatever. Uh, clearly, we have a different situation than, say, in Germany right next door or in Italy or in France, um, partly because of Poland's history. I mean, not just partly. I, I would say in the majority, but it's because of Poland's history that there is uh, a, an allergic reaction to kind of uh, anything that would take away the church's power. And that, that's partly because Poland's Catholic churches. So it's one of the uh, byproducts of the church being so, so powerful here that we small churches can kind of ride on their, on their power and strength. Right. Poland is a post-communist country, correct? Yeah, correct. And so that means that, uh, uh, that, you know, there was uh, there was an attempt at, uh, at totalitarianism uh, and and the communism here, I think, uh, or at least the interaction of Poland with communism would have been much different, say, to uh, even maybe uh, Romania or, or Bulgaria or some of the other nations or Russia in particular, because here in Poland, the imposition of communism came straight from Russia. And that was a few years, I mean, not very many decades after Russia and uh, Austria and Germany had already spent 120 years or over 120 years uh, imposing their own form of kind of colonialism. 
Mm-hmm. So in Poland, even though there, there was an imposition of communism, Poles never, um, never received it as their own. It was never, uh, it didn't, it just had a hard time becoming their own because it was identified immediately as something that the Russians or someone else is trying to impose. So had it been organic, had it, I don't, I don't really know what that would have been like. Um, and there were some countries in Europe where, where, you know, communist dictatorships took over and still they had trauma. But I think the trauma here was particularly sharp and the, the attitude toward communism is particularly anti here because it was imposed from the outside. So uh, let me throw it into something that's just hitting our context. I am in Chicagoland. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately I'm right outside of Cook County, but Chicagoland Mm -hmm. and Cook County basically just a week or so ago adopted a vaccine mandate, um, i.e. no bars, restaurants, the bar thing. I don't Mm -hmm. have too much of an issue with but the restaurants, uh, movie theaters, et cetera. They are, and, and there's some mayors and towns pushing back. But as a whole, there you know it's it is a very literal. Show us your papers in order to mm-hmm. function in society, which again I'm new to, uh, and mm-hmm. and I don't I, I feel like there's something even biblically wrong with that idea that says you have to mm-hmm. inject something into your bloodstream in order to function in society. Something about that feels incredibly tyrannical. Uh, rubs against yep. the idea of. You know, God says, as far as very open-handed on choose what you feel medicine is best for you in these days and times. I, we, our family got COVID before the vaccine was made to the public. So yeah, the the idea of the vaccine to me feels um, at least redundant. Yet there's there's evidence and arguments that say, you know, receiving that medication could be detrimental uh, for a post-immune person. Uh, your or at least the adverse effects from the vaccine to a post-immune per, uh, to a person with natural immunity can actually be quite a, quite a few times higher, um, and and I won't go into the backstory of that. You can agree to disagree, but but I want to talk more about the draconian uh, communist idea of showing your papers and things like that. What's your thoughts on that? What do you what do you think reflects on that? How do you think? What does a believer do in the times and days like that? Okay. Okay. Well, uh, okay. So the uh, vaccine uh, topic, we can full disclosure, I am vaccinated. Um, But uh, like setting that aside, I think for most of us, particularly evangelical uh, Christians and Americans, we have a strong allergic, I would say, is what my reaction is to to things being forced. Right. Particularly because I, I feel like you know, if you if you make a good argument, if I, I really love my doctors. I've had many wonderful experiences with doctors. I know many of my friends have not, but I've had wonderful experiences with my doctors and good conversations. And uh, I know what things I'm dealing with. So for the most part, I I think I and most of my friends, um, the people that we're in circles with, don't have a problem with with uh, those that doctor trying to to tell me what he thinks is best and what that conversation is like. I do think, um, if I can just say this in general, I think we've seen uh, an amazing failure uh, on the part of leadership, um, and I think it's exposed a an intense desire to have people 
heal, <laughs> uh, to come to heal, basically. Have people just obey and obey now. And I think that's really tragic. I, um, clearly, if we were dealing with an Ebola or something else, um, you know, our reaction would have been different. Um, but that's, it, it is unfortunate. As far as, as, far as what I believe uh, believers have to deal with, you know, uh, clearly the Bible does not say, thus says the Lord, you're going to take the vaccine or not take the vaccine. Uh, I do think that it says we need to pray for our leaders. Um, we are to be subject to the laws of the land. But it does indicate to us that there are moments where our conscience uh, and what we feel scripture says cannot be, um, should not be, um, we should be able to say no. And that's one thing. But what I, I would look at that in, in both in Poland's experience, but just in general, um, if I were looking at the United States and the situation there, you know, we as Christians also have the ability to speak up as citizens and to say, this is not something we're going to do. So as long as we have that ability, I guess what I'm saying is as long as we have the ability to speak up as Christians and to be open and do it over the airways or podcasts, or our responsibility is to speak up and say no. So um, on that point, when we've talked about this on the podcast before, that whole mm -hmm. argument, we have, we have... You have said, and I, I love this phrase that you coined, I've quoted it a lot. There's a lot of Christian leaders that we would say is high-minded academic groupthink that mm -hmm. basically say, Romans 13, submit to the governing authorities. Yeah. And that's basically yeah. their carte blanche answer in a moment like this. What's your response to mm -hmm. that? Well, um, Okay, first of all, we are not living in a totalitarian regime, okay? Um, I think the church is called to be the conscience of uh, leadership as well, not just of uh, to speak truth, but to, to be the conscience. And again, um, I'm a vaccinated person, <laughs> uh, so I'm not telling people not to get vaccinated. I'm just saying there is a, there is a different way of doing things that is a wise way. Um, honestly, if I could, though, I'd like to just roll back because I don't know that the, the beginning of this conversation maybe is about the vaccine mandate mandate per se. I think for us in the church, it would begin with, with another topic, and that is just the general, because um, obviously mandates, uh, I find the idea of mandating something like this is completely uh, wrong and, and intensely insensitive to the Christian uh, and cultural backgrounds. And why? Because we clearly, as Christians, evangelical Christians, uh, have within our minds uh, these scriptures from Revelation talking to us about things like this. And so I, I think one of the problems that we're experiencing right now is uh, that I think is different, say, in Poland than it is in the United States. And quite shocking to me when I look at it in the United States is that in Poland, for all of the negative things that I've seen, or in many, many countries around the world, you have a conversation of political leaders with clergy or with representatives of church when they're going to do things related to church in particular, okay? In general, but especially when they're going to make laws uh, relating to church or things that might affect people's faiths. And I don't see that at all in the United States. I don't see that conversation taking place at all. No consultants, 
no one talking with with our communities. Um, and I think that that's an incre incredible sign of disrespect, uh, particularly if we're talking about, for instance, um, mandating the, the shutting down of sh uh, church services and whatnot. Uh, I don't think any of us um, in the beginning particularly said, no, uh, you're, that's absurd. I think most of us took the attitude of, hey, if there's a hurricane coming, we're going to shut down. We understand. We're going to evacuate. So I think that that's wrong. But when they decided, when they decided to make things things longer, there was a complete uh, disregard for the voices of an important, a huge community. And I think that that is a place where the church has an enormous responsibility to speak up, particularly when. Um, particularly when we are, we have a government that to this day, at least, is of the people, for the people, by the people. Uh, so that means we have a moral obligation to be uh, a part of the process and, and uh, our leaders have a moral obligation to speak to us. That's good. I don't see who they're talking to. Yeah, there's, especially around me, I've got, so, there's so many believers, not as much in my church, but just in, in the zeitgeist of American Christianity, a lot of go along to get along mentality because yeah. you know the opposite is you know you're going to be labeled a trumper you're going to be labeled sure. a right wing extreme you know a white supremacist a christian nationalist there's a lot of terms now that you're put under which if you say what which is manipulative it is manipulative that i should have to fear saying something about one topic or one subject because you might say that i'm saying something else that's manipulation that's lying that's good. That's good. So then how do we as believers basically teach other believers? For example, you are surrounded by post-communist, passionate Christians in your nation, and then many nominal Christians and Catholics. But but what would what would somebody who says, you know, you don't have to stand up, you don't have to push back, you shouldn't ever raise your voice, you shouldn't ever, you know, and of course we do this in a Christ-like fashion, we don't, you know, we tip tables, not people, you know, we, we, we do it in a godly fashion, but for what would a post-communist, passionate believer say to the American Christian, uh, no, no, Romans 13, just submit? Okay, so... I would uh, be careful about assuming that a post-communist believer here might be more radical uh, than an American one. No, they all are. Uh, because, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very layered. Uh, I would say, honestly, uh, that Catholics in Poland probably were more radical against communism than evangelicals were. Um, this is a, a part of the story that's not always told. The Catholic Church in Poland bore the brunt of communism. Uh, the Communist Party really, uh, really was afraid, particularly later on when Pope John Paul II became Pope, uh, was afraid of the Catholic Church. And I think there were many uh, charismatic and non-charismatic believers uh, who were very strong and passionate about their faith and, um, and to this day are, are very passionate about that. Whereas in evangelical circles here in Poland, not a few pastors actually did preach that very sermon that you're talking about. Um, 
to not, uh, you know, disobey and to be obedient and to be quiet or, or at least not be quiet, but to do as much as they allow you to. And honestly, I do think there is a point in some of that. Um, I, I think that we need to be really careful when we're just being um, agitators just to be agitators. Um, I don't want to just, uh, you know, not comply just because, and, and honestly, I'm not saying that I'm this huge fan of, of doing everything government says. I'm just saying, uh, um, I want to know when something is genuinely a, an issue and a problem and be able to identify that and when to, when to speak up. Um, the, the main problems that we're seeing here, I would say, um, as far as, uh, in Poland, I don't think are as much COVID-based, the ones we're dealing with here. But as far as what would what would one of the pastors maybe here say, uh, or one of the leaders, I think they would say, you need to speak up. Um, we're dealing with other challenges as far as, um, you know, politically, but I think that, I think what the Apostle Paul would say, maybe that's a better one. What the Apostle Paul would say is, uh, if it's trying to stop the kingdom of God, you need to speak up. That's good. And uh, in, I hear the Apostle Paul uh, in, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, anytime the persecution went from just being persecuting him and it went into this stop the church mode, that's when he spoke up and said, no. That's when he spoke up as a citizen of Rome and said, uh, yes, but I'm a citizen and you have to hear me. So I think that that's the balance for the church is we will be persecuted. Um, there will be people that misunderstand us, and as pastors and as leaders, we need to be aware of that. But whenever you are in a position where you see this is an active attack of the enemy on the church, then you as a shepherd or as a pastor or as a leader have a responsibility before God to stand up and say, no, you will not touch the sheep. No, you will not stop the work of the ministry. Uh, again, this uh, I never see um, violence used uh by the apostle paul right but i do see clear understanding of who he is as a citizen and i think it's interesting that um that we look at so much in the new testament being about the interactions of a citizen not a slave not a person who's being colonized but a citizen as he interacts with his society um and i think that's important for us those of us in the last days you know we live in an exceptional time where we um, are one of the few generations where the majority of us have the rights of citizens. That's a rare moment in history. Um, for most of history, at least half did not. Uh, so women did not have this, the vote, did not have the same voice. Uh, huge numbers of, of minorities did not have the vote, did not have the voice. So this is an interesting time in which we as citizen Christians uh, have the responsibility to speak up because we have a part in the rulership or in the kingship. And so we will be held to account also for our voice and what we do with it. Yeah, that's good. So diving in a little bit on that, into the weeds, again, mm -hmm. just giving the, the, um, the, the pushback opinion that I, to what you just said. Well, you know, believers aren't supposed to push back. Well, for or they say, okay, well, it's not against the gospel. We're not being persecuted. But it's saying, okay, you could only, you see, because you can still meet as a church, or you can still meet online, or you can meet, but you can only have 10 people, uh, or, yeah. you know, and et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, I have pastor friends who are yeah. fine in the city of Chicago. What, you know, those are the moments where I, I would say there's a lot of believers, their pushback is, well, it's just this and that's all. So it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I can address that, because I think that that's, that's the extremely important point, particularly with when I look at the situation in the United States, as opposed to the situation here, okay? Mm -hmm. um, I think that the situation in the United States is that we're dealing with, and that is so shocking to a lot of Christians, is that we're waking up to the fact that a huge number of the American population, I would say even the majority, does not know us. They do not know what is important. I think it's shocking to them that meeting in person is important to us, that this is a part of our belief system, that Sunday morning services are part of what we believe uh, and that we believe it so passionately. This is shocking to those individuals because in their world, uh, in their reality, you know, their faith is a part of their tradition maybe, or maybe they grew up agnostic. Some of them grew up atheist. And I don't really think that the majority uh, of this is coming from ill will. Now, some of it is. We know that uh, obviously the the... Um, we would wrestle not with flesh and blood. So obviously some of this is coming, but I think in the United States, the difficulties that the church has experienced in its majority is actually coming because, and, and I say this without malice, okay? I hope they, people understand, but um, we're dealing with ignorant xenophobes. Um, we have people uh, in places of leadership who are completely unaware of uh, how we function. They know us as a voting block. Uh, they know us as a group of people that are reliable voting block, but hardly anyone they interact with is in any way Christian. And if they do, if they do interact with people who are evangelical, the restrictions on those interactions or on the expressions of faith in those circles are so big that institutional America, so whether it's culture or whether it's uh, academia or government, does not know us. And they do not know that these things are important because they haven't known it's been important to us for a long time. We haven't spoken up and said, no, 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 that's offensive. No, 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 that's not right. Um, because we are taught as Americans to be nice. Whereas I think that the interaction in other countries uh, is much different. I, um, because we are minorities, sometimes people are interested in, in us. We're curiosities, you know, in some parts of Europe and, and, there is an, uh, an incentive to, to maybe get to know this populace or, or find out who they are. There's articles and about us. Whereas in America, it's like, mm, it's common. We know about this. And I would say that many of our leaders know more about other religions from other nations more than they do, do about the evangelical community in the United States. So the evangelical community in the United States um, has done, with all due respect, oftentimes... Um, so little speaking up and so little saying, yo, that's offensive or that's wrong or that's, that's you're stepping over the line. Um, we, we don't raise our voice or we don't say what's important to us uh, that now it's, it's completely normal. I remember in the South, when I was still a kid, you would have never dreamed of having um, you know, sports events on Sundays. In fact, most places, they didn't even have sports events on Wednesdays because Wednesdays was church night. Whereas now, slowly, Wednesdays, oh, is okay, nobody spoke up. And then on Sundays, nobody, no. But that's, that was extremely insensitive, actually, to do that on those days. They knew that that was, uh, 
uh, I've, I've lived so many years now in Poland that the, you said, I'm, I'm not sure now that I'm trilingual anymore because I'm thinking of the word. In Polish, it's wykluczające. That is uh, exclusionary. Okay, mm -hmm. it excludes us. Um, that when you do something on Sunday in those hours, you know you are excluding the church-going population. And uh, nobody made a fuss. So, hey, it's no big deal, right? And I think that is one of the major issues that we are dealing with a culture shock, uh, a rude awakening, shall I say, in America, where we're finding out that we have a large number of institutional America and our leaders that are just ignorant and um, xenophobic in that they, they, have a, they have been taught that this other, this, this something that's from outside of their circles is bad. And, and, that, uh, and that other being the church. The church, absolutely. We are the other now. And that is, that is a really shock, a huge shock, because we as the church have, have lived in this uh, idea of ourselves that we are uh, the backbone of American culture. And in a way, we still are. Uh, so many of these institutions function because of a huge number of good evangelical Christians that are going to work every day. But if you, it's, it's interesting, Brian, if you look at the statistics of who is running, running for office, who is in office, um, look at Congress. Uh, you can, I, I did this a few years back. Look at who is, what their declared religions and what their declared denominational affiliation is. You're not going to find many um, evangelical, and you're sure probably one of the most underrepresented groups in America today is actually charismatic Pentecostals. We're just incredibly underrepresented. They don't want it uh, underrepresented. They don't want, I don't, I don't know if it's because they don't want us there. I think part of it is because we don't tend to go to the right colleges, according to them. And, and that is, has become in America, the ticket uh, to, to, to belong to the club. Uh, so you don't get into certain colleges, therefore you don't get into a certain process. But I, I think a lot of it is because just on a, uh, in, that, in that area, we just don't exist to a lot of them, other than just as a, a faithful voting block, voting block that a certain party can always count on. On a more global scale, yeah. what do you see the strengths and weaknesses of the church? So we talked a lot about, uh, a little bit about the church in Poland, a lot about the church in America and how it got to where we are at this point. Um, and of course, as Americans, we, we have a tend to view it as whatever we're dealing with is what the world is dealing with. Um, mm -hmm. What are you, from a more global scale, say this is the exhortation the church needs to hear in these days and mm -hmm. these hours? Yeah, I definitely think as far as when we're talking about vaccines and vaccine mandates, clearly, uh, the church in different countries of the world is reacting differently. I mean, you have the, the premier of, of Australia is a Pentecostal believer, uh, and he's quite a uh, vax mandate. I mean, this is clearly something. So, so obviously, as a church, we're, we're in a different place. And I would say that, that the majority of church folks here in our churches have a tendency to be in that direction, probably. Um, but there's something deeper going on that goes beyond just that. Um, there's issues of control, there's issues of fear. And if I could say, I think on the one hand, the church is, is triumphant, it is beautiful, there's some amazing things going on, but I think we're being shaken, we're being tested, um, we're being awakened. Uh, and I, again, I don't feel like I'm blaming uh, government and institution for this. 
Uh, I want them to know that I love them, but I'm not going to let them just get away with things. You know, um, I pray for them. I'm obedient, but I'm going to speak up. And if I have to, I'll sue. Uh, you know, those are the things. But as far as the church goes, and I think, Brian, I was thinking about our conversation and what we're going to talk about today. This has been the thing that's been burning in me. I think this is a testing of our faith. Because around the world, wherever I, whoever I speak to, whatever I talk to, the interesting thing is, however, whatever our reactions are, they're almost all um, on a social level coming from a place of fear. Yes. You know, even, even some of the people that I agree with, the way they talk about things, if they're afraid of certain uh, uh, things being imposed or they're afraid of them not being imposed, whatever we talk about, the atmosphere is one of fear. And, you know, fear is to the enemy what faith is to God. And um, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Man, and that I think was that good. God, Say that again. That was good. Fear is what? Fear is to the devil what faith is to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it opens the door. It enables uh, action in my life. Faith enables God. How should I say? Maybe not enables not the right word, but it opens the door for God to work his work in my life. But fear does the same thing to the enemy. And that's something I've battled with. I mean, if you've talked with my wife, you know, at different times, I've had moments where I've really had to battle as a man of faith, as a man of God that loves the Lord and wants to live a life of faith. I've had to battle times where I've, I, I would say, I thought it was a caution, cautious person, mm. you know, but I've had, I've had to fight these kind of questions of, well, what if this, what if that, uh, making contingencies, I love contingencies. What do we have all our contingencies worked out? You know, are our papers in order? Are everything done? And some of that is wisdom, but some of that is, a, has been a spirit of fear and a spirit of torment. And I think that God is letting the church go through a time where we can be shaken so we can recognize the difference between faith and fear. And we can begin to operate in a place of faith. And even, even in the interactions that we have with leaders um, or with, with secular uh, environments, um, we can calmly and confidently say no or yes. Yeah. Um, I, you know, today is obviously a, a big day politically in the United States uh, uh, because there's people yeah, we that- we are that, recording this uh, on the 6th in, of January. Yeah. yeah, that's not and when so it'll go lot, out, but yeah. yeah. But, you know, there's there's a lot of um, people that are trying to instill fear one way or the other. And and um, my strong, firm belief is that God is calling his church to return to a place of confidence. You know, in, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Uh, and I think that God is saying, you're powerful. Wake up. Realize it. Don't be afraid. Don't be mm. quiet. Don't operate in fear. Um, but but speak out. Some of the most, it, it, I, I guess an example of this is, for instance, if, you, if you've ever seen a parent that loves their child, but they were raised in an abusive home, and they, they begin to operate in fear in their correcting of their children, it oftentimes can go into abusive behaviors. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but unfortunately I have. And and I think that there, there is a, a call to us as the church to walk into a leadership and a discipleship process that is born out of faith. Right. The enemy will not be right. uh, in charge. Mm -hmm. and, and we are free citizens um, 
so far. Yeah. <laughs> and we have many rights at our disposal uh, to use. But the biggest one is we have the power of, uh, of God's word and the power of prayer. That's right. And uh, faithful and all of that. That's that's powerful. That's and I'll make this argument and we'll probably talk about this in future podcasts, too. But one of the things I think a lot of believers, especially believers in America, don't understand is they argue, well, you submit to the governing authorities as Romans 13. They use that a lot, as we've been saying. And the point you've been making that a lot of people don't understand is they believe the governing authorities are then who is ever in charge. And that what they don't realize is, yeah, actually the governing authority of America is the constitution. It yes. isn't the person hired to yeah. uphold the constitution. It's the constitution itself. Yeah. And it's not, mm-hmm. you know, I would argue it's not open to nearly as much interpretation. I don't believe, and, and this will offend one side of the aisle, and that's not my intention, but I don't believe sure. it's a living document as far as you can, because yeah. that's a manipulative term to say, I want to take uh, and twist that into what I need it to mean at any given moment where like the Bible is God's living word. And don't get me wrong. The constitution is not on par with the Bible. I don't believe that sure. I'm not a, I, I, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. Um, and, and, and neither, uh, I don't believe America's God's new Jerusalem or anything like that. Um, but, but I do, we do, we are wise enough to understand our days, our times and the information given to us. And one of the things we know is, okay, if the constitution is a, is a document, it's the Bible is a living word that can then apply to my life, but I don't twist it to make it mean what I want it to. And the same thing's true in within our context, the constitution is the law of our land. It's living in the fact that it can apply in many scenarios, but some things are just blanket truth for all time. So I E there is a freedom of religion and there's nothing in there that says a virus then negates all that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just, Nope. You're freedom of religion. Again, this, this goes back to the whole idea of having a conversation with your community and have it, and hearing that voice and knowing that those citizens have the right to, to be heard. But also, uh, you, you mentioned the Constitution. I think that, um, you know, this, I, I think in the coming years, we're going to see uh, many, many lawsuits of many different kinds coming out of these last two years uh, for, for various reasons. Uh, it, it's sad to me uh, that I think that so much of leadership uh, in America and in the West in general has not necessarily been about safety. It's been about uh, um, liabilities. Um, and, which, and Which is a fear-based mentality, correct? It's not been about leadership. It's been about liabilities. Uh, I, I would say, you know, you mentioned the Constitution, you mentioned the legal system. Actually, that's one of the areas where I think that the United uh, U.S. Church <laughs> Um, because again, we've, we've, um, we've confused being nice with being good, um, and non-conflict. Um, we've, we've confused this that, well, people are not going to want to come to our church. And I do think there is a balance. I don't think we have to be caustic. I don't think that we have to call everybody, every name under the sun, although sometimes you might want to. Um, but I do think that, um, I would encourage some of us to get a little bit more litigious. That's one thing I see the Apostle Paul did, does not seem to have a problem with going before the court and explaining him. And in the American system, 
in order for the system to be aware of you institutionally, so we're talking about schools, academia, local government, and federal and state, in one of the ways of making yourself known to them, and this is historic, um, is through the courts. Um, and it is um, making it uncomfortable for them to, to push you around, should I say. Uh, you, I think the church will have to be a little bit more litigious uh, and, and be able to smile and say, we love people, but no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so taking this direction of, of you know, um, lawsuits, kindly, uh, respectfully, no. I do think that that is going to be the, the one of the one of the main avenues that we'll have to be seeking out and uh, and working. And it's worked for some. And I think we'll have to make ourselves known in in different areas to these different leaders. I don't expect every leader of the country to be a Christian, um, but I do expect them. I, as a citizen, expect them to know uh, that they must respect the rights of all citizens, including us. And, uh, and if they want to make decisions regarding these things, then they ha there has to be uh, consultation and they have to know how that is going to affect citizens. You know, the, the, this whole uh, discussion of, of what was, um, what was the word they used? Um, necessary or unnecessary, you know, um, uh, oh, um, they were saying, you know, stores, you can go to stores, stores are open because, but churches don't need to be open. You know, there was this discussion that evolved out of this, you know, what was, uh, oh, I can't remember essential, what the words were, but anyway, I, some churches finally had to stand up and say, no, this. You're referring to essential businesses. Thank you. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. So essential. Um, yeah, essential businesses. So that, that discussion, this arbitrary decision um, to say what was essential and what was not and in what, in what category, it was a decision made in a complete void without any conversation with leadership. Um, I mean, it, they didn't even at least uh, speak to a, a Catholic bishop to ask. You know, uh, obviously, I don't think, I uh, love Catholics, but I don't think that they speak for the evangelical community. But I mean, in this moment, did they speak to anyone from any religious community? And the answer no. is no. no. Um, so this was imposed, long-term imposed. I'm not talking about short-term uh, when we don't know about thing. I'm not talking about adjustment periods or periods of heightened waves or whatever. If there's a conversation, I think the church can work with, uh, work with people. But we clearly saw that this was a moment, I think in the United States in particular, uh, where, where that was not taken into consideration. And, uh, you know, the church has gone through periods uh, and we've gone through pandemics. Uh, the medieval church went through pandemics and had to look for solutions. Uh, we went went through one right after the Assemblies of God, uh, uh, just over 100 years ago, became a denomination. So just four years later, there was the Spanish flu. And I remember my grandmother talking about uh, her childhood when she was little and, 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 you know, hearing those stories. So the church has dealt with this. We've dealt with canceling services. But we are at a different point in our relationship with with rulers and leaders and i think as christians in, in in america in particular because there is such a large large community we need to lift up our voice and and take responsibility for the voice that god has given us as as citizens it's interesting the apostle peter does not have that same voice if we look in acts he does not have that those same rights and his interaction with rulers is very different one uh, in fact, there are some that that claim when he's in Rome, it's more undercover. It's not quite in the open. And yet the Apostle Paul, as a citizen, 
is very up in the open, very flagrant, almost in his saying, no, the emperor has to hear me now. Like he's, he's pretty strong. It's like, I'm no, no, no. I'm taking this to the Supreme court. Um, that's, that's an amazing. And I think that today, because we are a citizen Christian, uh, we are in that position. That's the, that's the model we should take. I think that's great. That's so good. So one more, I know I'm going to be chasing a quick rabbit here and I, I, and we've got to wrap it up, but the woke Christian then might, might say, you know, Josh, that's easy for you to say from a place of privilege. Yeah. What's your response also, to that? As a, no, I would say that our African-American brothers and our, our brothers and sisters in minority communities um, probably have more experience in this area because of the fact that for the last, uh, say, 70 years, uh, 80 years, they have had to fight for their communities and they have had to speak up. So I would humbly suggest to, to those of us in, in evangelical communities that we do need to speak to our brothers of faith that are in communities that have experienced um, uh, being excluded. Uh, and what was the process and how do they still to this day fight against uh, intentional exclusion that takes place in, in different areas? So I would say to, to uh, our brothers and sisters in faith that are from minority communities to say, um, will you teach us? Uh, how do we walk through this uh, to speak up and to uh, in patience, in truth, nonviolence, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is, that is, uh, but to learn from people of faith from the 1960s, 1950s, who, who spoke up and, and said, this is wrong. Uh, people of moral character need to speak up. And again, this is not an issue that is just a Christian issue, but it is a social issue. You know, here in Poland, we're, we're in a, in a completely different place. Uh, the political system looks a lot different, but I think uh, in America, um, you know, that's that's something we are going to have to learn is that we have somehow allowed ourselves to be uh, put on the outskirts of the system. Um, and I don't know why why that always is. I, I know why it is in the culture. I know why we pulled ourselves out of the culture and I know why we're afraid of interaction with Hollywood or with different things, because sometimes we feel so threatened by by the worldliness or different things like that. But we've done that. We've actually um, partly been relegated, but partly relegated ourselves on the outside. So, so when it comes to our, um, you know, um, saying I'm woke or not woke, you know, well, uh, I would say actually, um, this is not coming from a place of privilege. It's actually coming from a place of learning from those that did not have the privilege, and learning from the process that they went through, uh, and fighting for those those rights. I'm not. I would not compare. By the way. Uh, the situation uh, in in volume, uh, we're we're definitely far far away. Thank God from anything like that. But I would say that we do need to be more firm in making our community known. And that is not something we've had to do. And I would say, arg- uh, I do think that, that the argument of privilege is an interesting argument because we certainly were as evangelical Christians, white Christians. Uh, definitely privileged in the fact that we were such a large block and we had people, politicians cater us so long that we assumed that everybody knew us or they ought to know us. And all of a sudden we woke in a, in a world where that was not the truth and they don't know us and, and we're not as essential and we do not make or break elections in the same way that we used to. And so I, I think maybe we are waking up to the fact that that's gone. That world is, is, has been lost um, right. and, then and got a maybe of- we need to... You've got a group of Christians who are now debating, do, you understand? do we try and get our voice back 
or do we just relinquish ourselves into the dark night? And that's that's and that's what this podcast yeah. is all about: is saying no, we don't relinquish the yeah. light. So yeah, I mean the church, uh, the Apostle Paul is clearly an example of the church at its uh, one of its most persecuted periods, and uh, at that moment that is extremely dark, and in that moment he's speaking up. Yeah, he's speaking up. So, um, you know, I, I cannot imagine at any moment there being a moment where we would be silent. Um, you know, we can choose to do that, but then it will never be that you're just that they'll let you go. There is going to come a point where you will be forced to speak up um, whenever the church has decided Ooh. to pull back, pull back, pull back in every moment in every society, whether it's in communist times or uh, or in the slow horrible process to to uh, totalitarianism for instance in Germany whatever all of the churches in those regions at one point or another were finally confronted where they had to speak up uh, you know I live in Poland so I um, you know this is this is a, a place where where people uh, many of them were simple people many evangelicals in this part of the world were were simple people they didn't think that that it was coming to them but eventually their their faith or their lack of speaking up at one point was confronted so um we're it's not going to work just being silent man we'll eventually have to say something that's so good that's the note to end it on right there thank you so much josh that was awesome i appreciate it god bless you man great to hear from you